This is the podcast for July 13th, 2012. It's not safe for work. Recorded live from just outside the Free Stuff VIP line at the Cheney Romney fundraiser, it's the professional lefts with Drip Glass and Blue Gal. And why can't it be Romney Cheney 2012? I know. I mean, he picked himself for vice president back in 2000. I know. Like Napoleon. He just grabbed the crown and stuck it on his own head. But I'm <laughs> Now I'm the king. Fuck you. <laughs> so, yeah. I, or his daughter. What about Liz? Home Jean? Liz. She'd there be so go. good at that. What with her, you know, minuscule exposure to humans and her <laughs> blood. Her vast, her vast, vast foreign policy experience. Yes. Shopping in Dubai. <laughs> she has a big map on her wall. Oh. All the countries, if I could bomb a country today, which one would it be? It's like, it's like mystery date, except she opens it up. Oh, Syria, let's bomb them. And you know, you know that uh, bloody Bill Crystal would love her. Oh God. Yeah. I mean, he got to pick the last vice president. Why not this one too? <laughs> He's the one who came back from the wilds of Alaska and said, I found the perfect running mate for that ancient weird man that no one likes in the party. So now we have another rich weird guy that nobody likes in the party. And why not? Why not strap a Cheney to his ass and see where it takes him? Except I really want Bachman. I know. I do. I really do. I know. I know this is just fantasizing here, but I really do want Bachman to be his running mate. I really do. And we all know it's going to be the most second most boring man in America, Rob Portman. So. Or or as your friend from the uh, Minnesotans for Teapaw. Oh, yeah. Barb. Barb wants Teapaw, you know. Oh, Teapaw. Yep, because then she's she can still, do all the fundraising over at the Olive Garden. She yeah. has all the literature ready. and She does. Uh, she's she ready. never lost faith. No. Barb never lost faith Barb in Barb never lost faith in, in Teapaw, no. He'll surprise you. That 2016 is going to be his year. I'm sure of it. Mm-hmm. All right. I can feel it in my bones. <laughs> like a storm coming over the Rockies. I can feel it in my bones. <laughs> We're going to read some letters today. This is our letter show, and we have had to set aside a great many letters because we only have so much time to read letters. But we're so grateful to all of you for writing to us throughout the year. You guys are a wonderful, wonderful audience. And the first letter is from a listener named Robert. And just to be clear, we read, read these letters when we they do. come in. We do. But this is our, our reading them on the air show. Exactly. And, and we respond to every letter we get, sometimes a little bit late, but we mm. really do want everyone to know that we read what you write to us. And you guys are so thoughtful and uh, really get a lot of things that sometimes we don't get. So I'm just very grateful to all of you for listening and responding. And Robert writes to us. I was talking with one of my centrist friends about whom we were going to vote for this November. My centrist friend said, why should I vote for Obama? He only cares about Latinos, gays, liberals, Democrats, and women. <laughs> I wonder what color this guy was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My response was, as opposed to voting for Gordon Gecko, the guy that shipped your dad's job to China and raided your grandpa's retirement? The best response ever came next. Well, if you want to vote for a fictional character, that's your business. But how do you know that the Geico Gecko's name is Gordon anyway? <laughs> right. yeah, 
let's all consider the age and race of the person involved. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and uh, education level as well, yeah. <laughs> and world experience of this centrist. Mm-hmm. It, dude, that's the movie they were quoting in Boiler Room, okay? And you know, I I had a back and forth today on Twitter with one of my Twitter followers who said that she was afraid that in 2016 we'd be electing a Republican just because the pendulum always swings and people are tired of having a Democratic president and so then they'll want to try something different. Yeah. And I said, yeah, but you know, it really is possible that the pendulum is breaking for Latinos, gays, women, African Americans, (laughs) union members. They are really alienating Lots and lots of constituencies. And it's interesting. The people who are concerned about that are Mitt Romney. He's, he has said so. Mm-hmm. And Karl Rove. Yeah. You know, they're worried about that. Who so can read a poll. You yeah. Know, who can read, you know, the, the and who know what happens app. to demogra- demography. They know demography is destiny. Yeah. The extent well, to which that's true. And, you know, the, the, the only thing about common, you know, the common wisdom is it's always wrong. <laughs> it's absolutely impossible that we have elected a black president, a black Democrat president, yeah. a black Democratic president from a major American city. But we did. It's impossible that the person he beat in the primary is the wife of the former president. But he did. And so it's it, it's I understand that that conventional wisdom about the pendulum swimming, swinging back and forth, coming from a place where both parties are are sane. Um, but they're not both sane anymore. One of them is crazy. And secondly, the pendulum didn't swing back in 2000. The pendulum was handed to George W. Bush by, by the, the Supreme, Supreme Court, Court full yeah. of people that his daddy and his daddy's boss appointed. So, no, um, it, it that bit of conventional wisdom is something that acts as a uh, um, speed bump. And there's a certain, you know, there's a certain historical truth to it but if you look at an election by election that need not be true it need not be the case that we ever elect another republican president in my lifetime Mm -hmm. they have screwed up that badly and they deserve to spend the next 20 years in the wilderness and that really is kind of their problem it really is and that's one of the reasons i think mitt romney doesn't want to be president and i've had arguments on facebook and twitter with people about this and I, the, the best argument against my theory that Mitt Romney doesn't want to be president was from someone on Twitter who said, well, it's not that he doesn't want to be president. It's that he doesn't understand why it isn't just handed to him. And I can see that perspective that, you know, Anne just thinks it's his turn. You yeah. know, that's just it. Well, and, and the, you know, I'd suggest everyone, um, if you can, Go lay your hands on a copy of um, F. Scott Fitzgerald, A Diamond as Big as the Ritz. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. About a, an ultra rich family that basically brings a friend to their secret encampment every summer and they hunt them for sport. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It, it is the it is an absolute or or read um, something like Neuromancer, which is a lot closer to our, our current truth. Everybody take a drink. Everybody take a drink. It's a, the seminal science fiction novel of the 80s. But it was it's about that at some point you stop being rich stops being about money 
and start, starts being about how much of the earth and how much of human thought and how much of politics you can control mm-hmm. and how that changes you as a person. It doesn't make you bad, but it makes you alien. Yeah. It turns you into an, an alien creature who doesn't live on the same planet the rest of us do. And your concerns are not our concerns and your interests. No, are your not concerns ours. are, is there a VIP line? Because we're exactly. VIP. And you know, the nail lady, she doesn't understand the way the world works. Well, there and- are, there are, there are plenty of people with great means who are trying to do good. Mm-hmm. So I'm not demonizing wealth per se, but it, it, when you have, when all you do all day long is take over other people's companies and tear them apart and drain them of value and move on to the next, and you are surrounded by people who tell you that that's a good thing, what well, your religion is telling you, you know, basically, your business model is holy, yeah. is, is virtuous. And you don't, it's not that you don't care about poor people, you don't even acknowledge that they exist. Yeah. They, they There's never no show one up in your world. No, they're, they're yeah. one box on a spreadsheet that you never have to worry about. And you, and you have never had to worry about it. You've been bred to view the world in a certain way. And, and what Mitt Romney is doing is manifesting it every time he opens his mouth, manifesting a sense of, of deeply inbred privilege that says this should be handed to me. I've, earned this i've i've gotten rich i've kissed all the right ass i stand up in front of these stupid people who i don't like very much and say all these silly things that i have to say and shut up and give me my job already i've already taken over the company why are you people still fighting me this is mine and every time he opens his mouth that that thing that corporate thing comes out and if he can keep it covered up until november he has a fair shot at winning but it's uh it's he's really what the future looks like corporations with two legs and um i don't like that future i don't want to live yeah. in that and i and i think you and i have talked before and you had a very nice little monologue with me i think it was in the car a couple weeks hmm. ago about i prefer to think of it as a soliloquy honey well a soliloquy then of uh conservatism being a mental illness yeah. and i've thought about that a lot this week in terms of it's not only that they've lost their sense of I not what I mean is Romney uh, lost his sense of what it means to be an American or be loyal to a country because, you know, money is international and everyone who is at this level lives a, a Davos lifestyle. You, of course, you have money in global companies all over yeah. the world and can stash it in banks overseas. That's just what people do. Yeah. And that's, that's not the way the average American believes. But Mitt Romney doesn't, could not answer the question, what does it mean to be a Republican? He doesn't have an answer to that except we are the anti-Obama. And no one in that party has an answer to that question anymore. They have lost all meaning as to what they stand for, mm-hmm. period. They stand for power. Yeah. And they stand for getting rid of government. Yeah. I mean, completely getting rid of government. And and really, that is, in a, in a sense. Well, if you try to get rid of their whatever profits come from taxpayer money, they're not talking about that government. Well, because, it, yeah, go ahead. But it, it, the question, I mean, think about it. Just think about it for a second. Think about if you can put yourself in a, in a writerly way. 
for a moment into the mind of a of a Mitt Romney, who's second generation wealth and power, mm-hmm. who's surrounded by nothing but wealth and power, who who has many houses all over the globe, who has who's it's normal for him to hop in a jet and go any place on the planet he wants to. The idea of something being overseas is ridiculous. He doesn't perceive of the world as a place where you have a nation that you belong to. And then there's this body of water and the other side of it. There's these other nations. No, that's not how corporations think. There are these nodes on this map where you allocate resources. And some of them are here and some of them are there. And some of them require that you overthrow governments or bribe local officials. And some of them require that you obey certain local quaint tax laws. But they're all very tribal and they're all very um, ancient. They're all being swept aside by the new corporate value system that mm-hmm. Mitt Romney embodies. Beneath him is this deeply paranoid, bigoted, tribal ancient confederate hatred that hates Barack Obama because he's black, hates him because he's a Democrat, hates him because he's not on their team, and really hates most of this country because this is their last stand. This is the last stand of angry, white, ignorant uh, men. And so they don't have policy prescriptions beyond must destroy government Mm -hmm. because government has always been the boogeyman that took everything away from them. It took their privilege away from them. It took their women away from them. It took their sense of status. It took their slaves away from them. It took their lifestyle away from them. And they've, and they're done. And, and the only thing that they can figure out is Hulk smash must destroy government, government bad, even if it means suicide, even if it means getting rid of the things that are keeping them alive, they would rather die, you know, ignorant and free than as a socialist slave with Medicare. And you put those two things together, this, this sense that, that, that actually Bob Heinlein, everybody take another drink, wrote about in um, uh, a little bit of Job, a comedy of justice, and Friday, about the idea that corporations, that nation states are passe, that corporate, corporate organizations are the ones that will survive the 21st century. The whole idea of a nation state will be as quaint in you know, 100 years as the city state is to us. Mm-hmm. We just don't. It, it's a silly thing from the Renaissance that we can study in school, but it'll be gone. Corporations, corporation is a new way of organizing human beings. And that's why and in has, space merchants, you get the senator from Coca-Cola. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And some people can see that very clearly coming. And some people like that. That is Mitt Romney's idea of heaven on earth. That mm-hmm. is his idea of the kingdom of God on earth. And he's here to make it happen. That's what he wants to do, assuming that someone will be nice enough to hand it to him. But his base just wants to destroy the black man in the White House and those liberals who they have been told by their corporate media are responsible for every one of their problems. And and so many people in this country do identify themselves more clearly with where they shop or what they buy or what kind of phone they own than they do in what state they live in or what party they belong to. You know, I'm an Apple person or a PC person or absolutely I'm a Nokia person or a Walmart person or a Target person or whatever it is. Your identity, we are that consumer society and mm-hmm. that's part of the problem. And that's and I mean you can't imagine a, a Robert E. Lee who was offered, I believe, the generalship of the Union Army. Mm-hmm. 
by Lincoln. Mm-hmm. He damn well knew the greatest general in the country at that time was Robert E. Lee, unquestionably. But Lee said, I go with Virginia. Mm-hmm. You know, he's mm-hmm. so identified as a member of a state, this separate government entity that was distinct from every other one and was unique and was its own little country that he chose his state over his federal government because the federal government was a weak and distant thing and wasn't real. And but the state was the basic unit of government that really kept slavery intact and kept that system going. And that's what they fought for. They fought for a country free of federal government telling them to do anything, telling them that they had to treat human beings like human beings. And and that is deep in the southern man's blood. And we need to move on yeah, I'm to sorry. the next letter. Off, <laughs> off topic, but I believe this one falls to me, Blue Gal. Yes, it does. And it's from Doug. And Doug says, hello, Drift Class and Blue Gal. Hello, Doug. One comment regarding your Dem versus Dem commentary. I agree with you about voting for Obama to avoid a lunatic Supreme Court, but my voting address is in Delaware, a state that Obama will carry anyway. So why should I vote for a Democratic president who opposes so many of my values when my vote does not truly count? I wanted single payer, or at least a public option, health care plan, a repeal of Bush's expansion of the presidency, and an end to wars and drone attacks. Seriously, if my state is going for Obama anyhow, which is probably the same situation in Illinois, why vote for him when he has failed us? Regards, Doug. P.S. Thank you, Doug. I owe you money. P.S. <laughs> I owe you money. I'm expecting some soon, which I will share. Thank you, Doug. And thanks. This is a good question. Because yeah, well, you and I have both done this in the past. Voted against. Oh, I was thought you thought, I thought you meant the part about owing money. Yes, you did. No. <laughs> we... We both voted against Carter, and I voted against Gore. Your own way. I voted for Ted Kennedy, or supported Ted Kennedy. I don't know if I was old enough to vote yet or not at that point. I don't think I was. I made phone calls and stuffed envelopes for Ted Kennedy against Carter, and then I voted for Nader instead of Gore. Yep. But I was voting in Alabama, and I knew George Bush was going to win Alabama. So I wasn't throwing away my vote or voting to hurt the Democratic candidate. And that is a choice that people have. I would take exception with Doug's letter from the standpoint that I think anyone that thinks that they could have gotten single payer or public option out of Obama is rewriting history. That was a net roots push that failed. Yeah. And, that would have been great, and no one is arguing that single-payer or public option would have been a wonderful thing to have mm-hmm. in ACA, but mm-hmm. don't pretend that that's something that Obama failed us on because that was never part of his thing. I, I have this little lolcat cat image of somebody fainting in a dorm hallway and they're all you see are their legs stretched out and the caption is, Oh my God, someone just broke it to me that Obama's a conservative. (laughs) (laughs) I'm all for clumped now because, Oh my God, I just found out. No, I mean, he is not a liberal Democrat. No, he's not. And if you want to vote for a liberal, then write in somebody else. But, 
I agree with you too that if it's a, it has to be tempered with is your state a swing state or not? Yeah. And remember, I come from Chicago, <laughs> a city where it was going to be Richie Daly no matter what I did. I can't think of a viable presidential candidate, someone who's actually going to win in my lifetime, who was my ideal candidate. Mm-hmm. Not even close. Um, there were some I liked who stood no chance in hell of ever getting anywhere. Um, and some I sneakily admired for their political prowess. I do happen to dis- respectfully disagree with Blue Gal. I think that maybe single payer um, or the public option were not ever really going to happen. But I think they were given away way too early in the mm-hmm. negotiations. Oh, I, I I don't disagree with that. I think yeah. Barack Obama grossly, because he surrounded himself with people like Rahm Emanuel, who mm-hmm. is now the mayor of Chicago, and uh, Larry Summers, and people like that, who told him fairy tales about centrism, told him all kinds of happy... Remember when uh, David Brooks was having lunch with Barack Obama every other week? Who's getting up? He's had six, seven, eight interviews. Tom Friedman was talking to him. He was rapping with them about Davos. He was showing up at, at, you know, Charles Krauthammer's house with, you know, wine and cheese. I mean, he was really courting the, the, the Washington press and listening to them. And I think temperamentally he's a centrist, um, in a, in a way that I think is completely inappropriate for our time. We need a liberal. We need people who will at least fight for liberal values. And he really, if, if Barack Obama disappointed me in one way that I think was correctable, that I think was absolutely a, for, an unforced error, it was not understanding the true nature of his opposition until yeah. it was too late. Yeah. He really thought he was dealing with downstate Republican, Illinois Republicans. Yeah. And, and we've said, said that many times before. Yeah. yeah. And that was just a, so, that was that's the uptick in part. And I also think you know that that book that people have been talking about with uh, the the it's worse than it seems or it's yeah. worse than it is and it's all yeah. about how no this really is a Republican problem. Yeah. That Ornstein one of the man. things w- the, yeah right man and uh, Ornstein. Ornstein right. One of the things that's not sort of covered enough I don't think about that book is that. What is happening in Washington is really people behaving as though it's a parliamentary system yes. instead of a republic and a democracy. And I think that Barack Obama was really hoping when he came into office that what he wanted to change Washington into was a parliamentary democracy where yes. he could have, you know, the, these Baltimore style meetings. We, we saw that where he just wanted to stand up. Mm-hmm. And say, okay, let's come up with some ideas yeah. on healthcare, and here are the goals. We'll want to cover everybody. We want mm-hmm. to uh, drop costs. Go. And yeah. and he would listen to Republicans, and he would listen to Democrats, and they'd hash this out, and there would be reasonable ways of getting to the and star said, on the you know the, the finish line. He said that over and over again. I'm yeah. agnostic as to. How we get there. Yeah. I don't care whose idea. If your idea, great. I'll incorporate it. But here's the, here are my bottom lines. And he really thought, I think you're absolutely right, Blue Gal. Mm-hmm. He was a constitution law professor mm-hmm. who thought of the Republican Party as the lovable, loyal opposition. Yeah. And, and, and let's, so let's listen to your ideas, Mike Pence. And Mike Pence yeah. opens his mouth and says, we need across the board tax cuts and a reasonable spending and an increase in defense. And, <laughs> 
What? <laughs> and that's how we're going to fix healthcare. What? <laughs> and jobs. And and <laughs> and by the way, people, we're going to ban abortion. <laughs> yeah. And suddenly there are people huh? <laughs> a, across the country, you know, within weeks of being elected, inaugurated. President, yeah. Yeah. Uh, be, weeks of being inaugurated, burning the place down, screaming their heads off about birth certificates and socialism. And oh, and Glenn Beck. Focus. Glenn Beck started it. You know, mm-hmm. I'm fear for my country and crying. Yeah. You know, within seven days of the inaugural or and inauguration. Not, yeah. And that is not what this sort of um, how quickly we forget Glenn Beck, how yeah. quickly we forget Glenn Beck. Oh, I, I don't forget Glenn Beck. No. But, Glenn but, Beck you know, did this he, and well, then he, he disappeared. He was the lens through which this was focused. Yeah. And he served his purpose. Yeah. But but the Obama presidency started off on the assumption that we shall all sit. I have now won a mandate. I've won mm-hmm. a clear majority. I have certain things I promised I would do. I will now do them. Mm-hmm. I will to do them. I will do what we did, you know, in in, in law class. We will all sit and reason together. We will all sit together in a group and say, here are the, I'll put this, and I've been in these meetings. Hell, I've, I've run these meetings. Yeah. Yeah. Here we will, we'll put all the outcomes we want on the board. We'll decide which are the most important. Then we'll go through, and I don't care how we get there. I don't give a shit whose idea it is. If you want a lot of praise, if you want the, the spotlight, you've got it. I just want to solve the fucking problem. And, and so let's sit and do that. And the answer was, He's a fucking communist. Yeah. He's from yeah, Kenya. Yeah. He, and, and he doesn't know, how, and Obama had, didn't know how to cope with that. No. You know, but they're, but, but Rom, they're crazies. And he's surrounded by people who's like, nah, just compromise some more. Just compromise a little well, bit. Well, and then he, and he was facing more. humongous crises at that point as well. Oh yeah. And, and plus and, the economy was falling yeah, through the yeah. earth's so, crust. And the, the, you know, and, and, and the minute he stopped and said, I cannot compromise anymore. I've gone far enough. I have given away most of the store and these people are still fucking crazy. That was the day that David Brooks had a crime jag. He's not the president I thought yeah. he was. Yeah. Had this really yeah. His creepy, hysterical, public weeping fit mm-hmm. on the pages of the New York Times, called himself a chump for ever believing in him and stormed away into the arms of Mitt Romney, where he always wanted to be anyway. And that's we have to move on again. <laughs> well, and I want to say that's the up ticket. That's the problem with up ticket. Up yeah. ticket. Yeah. Barack Obama made one critical error and the rest of that stuff, you know, I, I agree with most of it. Down ticket, however, down ticket voting is really important. The people who run your your water treatment system, your school board, your mayor, exactly, exactly, very, very important. Get the most progressive person you can get. Give them money. Vote for them. Put flyers on people's doors. Yep. Work like hell, and it will make a difference. Yeah. In our area, Blue Gal, we have we we were just redistrict, and the state senate seat is open, and there's no Democrat running. That's right. And there because are lots of open ballot areas where there is no Democrat running yeah. all the time. And if you want to really change That's something, learn, yeah. learn from your office, learn from the, the Christian fundamentalists who took over the PTA first. Yep. And we're, and it's a long, hard slog, but whoever promised you anything other than a long, hard slog? Well, we've got letter about that down, yeah. downstream <laughs> on this podcast. So I'm right. going to read one. Uh, right. the, the two snail mail letters that we chose to read this week are both from a gentleman named Peter. So this is Peter in California writing to us. And I chose this one just because Peter is an artist and he uses very old, beautiful stamps. I'm going to have to scan these and put, I keep promising myself I'll do that and put them at our Facebook page. But, uh, 
he's an artist and he sends us artwork and poems and things and and we always enjoy getting his letters. Uh, I just wanted to read a couple passages from his most recent letter because he's a good writer too. Driftglass, you old Heinleinian true reporter, everybody take a drink, he says. <laughs> it also looks like the Vicodins might have somewhat masked the pain this week caused by your long-suffering bout of Brooks syndrome. Yeah. Which I think may not have even come up once this podcast. A true affliction, mind you, but also one of your oldest stories. It's a true aristocrats-like joke, told like so many of your other classics so spot on the first time I read it years ago, and retold week after week, never with too many notes, never fucking up the punchline, and like the aristocrats legend, retold by newer members of the club, and for once a club where we are actually considered a member. Often gussied up or embellished by the latest contestant, but alas, never credited to its original source. It doesn't matter whether you get the credit or not, Driftglass, or the Charlie Pierce-type monies. Yeah, sure. Just know that your unrecognized talents day in and day out help define the edge of the envelope and help to establish the baseline that others measure themselves against and may also have something to do with that word professional that you chose as part of the name of your band and tend to resemble with almost every post and podcast. Just saying. And Fran, the sometimes straight man to Drifty's Carson, just keep modeling for us groupies what a real conversation between two people who trust, respect, and demand 100% from the other person because you are willing to do no less yourself. As an alternative to all the Essie Culp, Dancing Dave, Bill Keller, Judy Miller, Bloody Bill Crystal metaphors that still cause us to backslide once in a while and toss the nearest cat at the TV screen. Fact, I have never chucked a cat during one of your podcasts. (laughs) So here's another small token to keep you steady moving down the road, trusting that somewhere sometime that 100th monkey will possibly catch your podcast or maybe discover Drift Glasses or Blue Gals blog and woohoo, maybe just maybe critical mass coming to a theater near you, or the monkey will throw some poo at the tourists, and it goes viral. A fellow can hope, can't he? Hasta la bye-bye, Peter. Thank you, Peter. We Thank That's you. a nice letter. Well, and for all of you uh, Heinlein aficionados out there, um, I have to correct Peter, I think, and say I don't think you're looking for true true reporter. Oh. I think you're looking for fair witness. Oh, there's okay. a um, and and this is is worth me hogging one minute of airtime to explain what a fair witness was. Um, it's a really good concept. It'll never ever happen in the real world, but in Heinlein's Stranger in a Strange Land, uh, which is a uh, pretty fine book, there's a profession that is recognized by the court um, called the fair witness. And fair witnesses are trained to only observe the facts. And they come and they are, they're called in to observe testimony. They're called in to give testimony. They're called in to, to state what happened, what such and such looks like. Uh, but a fair witness, if asked, what color is the house across the street would never say yellow. They would say, the wall facing me is yellow. Wow. What color is the sky today? 
I don't know. I will have to go out and look at it. And then they would go look and they'd come and say blue. What color is it now? I will have to go look again. They're, they're absolutely um, robotic reporting of just what the visible evidence proves. And there's an awful lot of merit. If that were the standard yeah. by which we did objective reporting, yep. that would be terrific. I would have no yep. problem with that because there's still plenty of room for commentary and plenty of room for opinions. But the difference is it is a verifiable, objective, measurable fact that the Republican Party is insane. Or that Barack Obama was born in Hawaii. Yes. And, and we we have Donald Trump saying, well, you know, that's your opinion and you're entitled to it. Well, no, no, I don't care what Donald Trump has to say. What I'm what I what I mean is is simply this. There was a, a radio broadcast, a, a wireless radio broadcast on the Marconi <laughs> machine that really pissed me off this week. And I, yes. I wrote a little post about it. A little post? Wait a minute. Long, a long fact, fact, yes. fact, fact, fact. <laughs> it was not a little post. No, it was a long. It post. tortured this entire house for a day, a day and a half. At least <laughs> in the sense that I kept walking around going, I can't, I can't press publish yet. It's I not done. Well, it, it wouldn't fall into place. These, if you think writing, writing is sometimes easy to, sometimes it does flow, but more often than not, it's just trying over and over again, different paragraphs, different orders, different, cause I, I really think writing should flow like a, like, like jazz. It should be effortless. It should appear effortless. It should come out as a, as a, as a tune. And if it's not, if the, if, if the music is wrong, it doesn't matter how right the words are, it doesn't sound right. So I, I was fiddling with that, but this was, um, Neil Conan on Talk of the Nation on NPR. And Neil Conan does this over and over again. He's done it many times in my hearing over the years. And it was just awful. Well, um, and you, and you, it was a caller yeah. who called in to say that the Republican party denies climate change. Right. And it is one party that does that. The Republican Party denies climate change. The Republican Party believes that trickle down economics works. Except he said, he said, yes, he said Republican Party does these things. Yes. The, the caller did not, not Neil Conan, but the caller to his show said it is the Republican Conan, Party doing these things. And they deny climate change just like they deny evolution, which is yep. ridiculous. These are matters of fact. Neil Conan interrupts his caller, which he mm -hmm. does repeatedly. He's mm -hmm. done it many times. I have written posts about it over the years. Interrupted the caller and say, well, that's not really fair, caller. You know, to conflate, um, these are conservatives and conservatives are not the same as Republicans. There's no evidence that these people are, are any part of the Republican party. Which is bullshit. Which is a lie. Yeah. And at that point, the station manager should have taken this lying sack of shit off the air, but of course he didn't. Then he said, Essentially, he conflated with what this guy said with Darwinism and said, well, to be fair, the caller was calling about matters of faith. But let's talk about gay marriage. Yeah, it oh, really was that bad. It really was. It that really bad. was that and bad. Yeah. Neil Conan really does this a lot and does it awkwardly, just mm -hmm. intrudes mm -hmm. in the middle of a conversation mm -hmm. where someone is getting dangerously close to pointing out that the Republican Party is the problem and says, I'm not going to allow that on my show. Democrats are just as bad. I can't prove it. I know it's a lie, but fuck you. I'm, I'm hanging up on you now. And what really ticked me off was, was this woman named Kathleen Hall Jameson, who I ordinarily like, who purports to be a, a strictly by the facts, straight shooter down the middle person. Um, just really disappointed me on the show for you go read the post for lots of reasons. But 
that's what I mean by by uh, the failure of objective reporting. It is objectively verifiably true that the Republican Party is insane. I mean, you can graph it, you can chart it. And whether or not it's Donald Trump's opinion is irrelevant. Donald Trump is a is a is a fool, is a buffoon and a grifter mm-hmm. and a liar. But a reporter, a straight reporter, a a, um, a Walter Cronkite should be able to say, ladies and gentlemen, uh, the problem with our political system is that one of our parties has lost its mind, has lost its moorings. And, and you know, I think there's I'm, a bigger story than that, Drift Glass. In, well, in, in terms, in the, oh, go ahead. In the same way, he said. Um, Vietnam is not winnable. Yeah. Because yeah. it's no longer a matter of opinion that this is true. It is a fact this is true. Yeah. And I can report it as a reporter as fact. The fact of the matter is the Republican Party is objectively unhinged and, and panders to and depends on a steady stream of lie fed to crazy, bigoted people. And they are deliberately and, destroying the government. And a fair witness would be able to report this as a fact. Yeah. The fact that our press can't report this central fact of our lives is the much is the much bigger problem, is the much deeper story. But Driftless, I think there's a bigger story too in terms really? of NPR. That NPR, you know, inherited the Croc family inheritance from McDonald's. And I think that that combined with a steady stream of bullying from the right. Yeah. Has really changed NPR to where I like I like to say NPR is the courtesy flush of the media. <laughs> yeah, it it's is. everyone knows that the system is just sharding all over the average person. But yeah. there's this NPR thing that flushes and masks the shart <laughs> because it comes across with this white noise of respectability and opposed, objectivity so, which it doesn't yeah. have because it has Koki Roberts on it you know right. there that isn't really there mm-hmm. and when it's and there the, are times when like with this Catherine Hall Jameson thing where she actually said you know if you want to get if you want to really have objectivity in media go watch the sunday shows i mean she, she said did. that people she said that she with said that face. And because the best reporters in America are there holding people to account and they usually have both sides on the show. Yeah. Yes. When it's a presidential candidate, they have both sides on. And, and, and she consider, doesn't talk about Harold Ford Jr. being the other side at all. Right. Or Ann, Ann Coulter being permitted anywhere near yeah, a camera. She right. doesn't talk about that. Yeah. And there's a the, there's a very important question that I don't I, I it's not within my power to answer. Why does she do that? She, is she is there a well, part because of NPR is now part of the beltway media oh yeah and 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 her job is dependent upon getting a chair at these sunday shows and it always goes back to money and avarice it really does it's Mm -hmm. just well you know my job i have to up the ante and up the profile of my organization which is supposed to be fact checking and i have that means i have to get my butt in the chair in front of bill moyers i have to get Mm -hmm. my butt in the chair in front of uh, David Gregory, and I can't piss off these people. Well, and, and NPR is a good example where I think, mm-hmm. I want to believe, because, yeah, it, as the joke goes, NPR stands for nice, polite Republicans. Right. And, and I wanted to say Ray Kroc money, not Coke money, Ray Kroc yeah. from McDonald's. Ray Kroc, McDonald's yeah. money. Right. McDonald's money. Um, they they inherited and, a shitload of money from there. And there was, 
And there was this very and they have put Republicans in charge of the place under the Bush administration. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They really have gutted the place and they, they have made the people who work there so terrified of ever appearing to have an opinion about anything that people who showed up. Well, I wonder if the, I wonder. I mean, you will never find this out, but we've always wondered about media salaries. I keep wondering yeah. about that. What happened to salaries, salaries after after the money was there? Yeah. And people that get paid millions of dollars to, you know, I was asking someone about that. Like, what did Walter Cronkite make at the end of his career? And it was a million dollars a year. And actually, after he left the evening news and became, you know, an every once in a while reporter, he made one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year, which David Gregory, you know, that's two years of country club membership for David Gregory, know. you know? know, and making. These people, part of the 1%, making them the over $250,000 tax bracket, mm-hmm. colors everything. It does. You know, they're yeah. never going to say, oh, these Bush tax cuts are terrible for the economy. No. Because it's their money. No. But a, a reporter who, you know, lived over a bar, yeah. you know, a, a Mike yeah. Royko, can write like a wizard. Yeah. Um, and can show all of the chops that any the great writers in history have shown and report the truth. Yeah, well, and uh, that's what we do here. I mean, I'm not patting myself on the back, but, you know, Drift Class, we have less than 1% of our listeners giving us five bucks a month. And that's what what we get in exchange for that really is being able to tell the truth about David Gregory. And I'm... Yeah grateful for that opportunity i just want to say that too. and we've got yeah, to move on drift class we're I, we're I, running out of time at this point i know we should mention our our listenership going up at the end of the podcast i just want to make a oh well we have we can mention it right now our yeah. our listenership is exploding and we're very grateful for that we're grateful that 10 percent of our facebook fans actually comment on our yeah. facebook page thank you so much it makes mm-hmm. us feel so much less alone to hear from you and mm-hmm. uh so that's awesome. But, uh, yeah, it is about 1%. If, if it would ever go up to 3% drift glass, where 3% mm-hmm. of our listeners were giving five bucks a month, you could quit looking for work. Oh, I know. And it's that marginal. It, right it is that marginal right now, but that, you know, it probably, it's better for you if you get a job outside this house away from the computer. I'm just saying. I anyway, I anyway. Completely agree. That's a side. That's an aside. I could write speeches for local Republicans. <laughs> You could. I think you've I, almost been asked to do that once or twice, I, but I've come perilously close to offering my. And okay, let me let me let me mention this just as an aside, um, as a real world practical thing. There there are local politicians who I know who are Republicans. I, I've moved to a Republican district, and mm-hmm. the people around me are Republicans. But there are Republicans who are mortified at what happened to the Tea Party. Mortified. Oh what yeah. Happened to yeah. Their party. Their Sort of and it's actually safe within this district to say that. Yeah. Uh, and politicians are, can, local politicians can say that because this is such a, an old style agrarian Republican district that didn't totally. need to t- catch fire with the Tea Party in order to no. just remain Republican. And, and it's, it's a, it's a small chamber of commerce. Yeah. Kind of yeah. Development. You know, they're very George H.W. Bush Republicans. And you you can, and you can disagree with them and you can call them, you know, they're all the same side. It's indistinguishable. Once you vote for a a George W., you know, and I agree with all that. I totally Mm -hmm. agree with Mm -hmm. all that. But on the ground, there are people here who are very, very uncomfortable 
with the fact that the Tea Party nut jobs are pushing them out of power. Yeah. And yeah. on at least a couple of occasions, some of those people have asked me in my civilian guise as a wise person from the city of Chicago for advice. I'm yeah. given it to, mm-hmm. I gave them honest advice because I am never going to find um, Bobby Kennedy down Not here. Not down here. No. No. A sack of money ready to run for Congress. No. That's, that's never no. going to happen. Well, what I can find are people who are willing to march the, who are willing to buck the tide at least a little bit, push back in their own way a little bit. Right. And that is, and if you live in a, in a red state and that's all you can do, then do that. Absolutely. And talk about things like I saw a sign on Facebook today that said, Medicare, you paid for it, you earned it, you deserve it. Yeah. And like, and the Ryan budget rips it out of your hand. What do you think of that? And you can talk to Republicans in this district and they say, you know, I paid for my Medicare my whole life. I worked my whole life. Of course, you know, we all should have it. And you talk to people like that and you can reach them. Mm -hmm. And I think this Ryan budget thing really needs to be just hammered into everyone's head. You realize that Republican congressmen voted for this thing that gives you a coupon to buy health insurance from the private market at mm-hmm. 80 or at 85. Mm-hmm. And you're supposed to go out and find a, an insurance company that will, for 15 grand, will sell you health insurance. Yeah. And all the money all that your... you paid into Medicare your whole life mm-hmm. gets flushed. Right. Here's your voucher. Here's your voucher. Here's the Congre- Good luck. Here's the door. Good, Good luck. luck. And, and, and yeah. absolutely. So there, to every, every time. And that is something you can talk about at the pancake house. I mean, you really absolutely. can. Um, and, but we got, again, so we got to move on. The enemy of the good and let's move on. To the next I'm being letter. the time, coming the timekeeper yeah. here. And, well, this is from Jason. This letter is from Jason. Yeah. And Jason says, a couple of weeks ago, you quoted John Klein. And he's a congressman. We need to, he didn't mention that, but Congressman John Klein. Yeah. I'm sorry. A couple of weeks ago, you quote, I'm just doing verbatim. I know. I will not verbally editorialize <laughs> our people's letters like some people. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, you quoted John Klein, Congressman, who suggested that the free market should dictate student loan policy and interest rates. One of my enormous pet peeves of the universe is dogmatic allegiance to things that don't exist. It's why I keep my opinions largely to myself where I live. In my opinion, anyone who utters the words free market in a conversation about real economics is literally unable to have a conversation about the subject. They might as well be wearing a propeller beanie and carrying a banana in one hand and their own feces in the other while making raspberry noises and blowing spit bubbles. Does Representative Klein insist that doctors get a medical degree? Should teachers be required to be qualified to teach? Why should you be required to get a pilot's license before you fly an airplane? Free markets would allow any asshole with a flat table and a set of sharp knives to practice medicine without any training or liability insurance. Market factors would weed out the bad ones after they killed enough patients. People would not choose to go to those bad doctors. Until Representative Klein endorses this policy, he lives in a world where the free market doesn't exist in education. It doesn't exist anywhere. As you've suggested, Free market is as much of a science fiction idea as warp drives and time travel. In a time when we need educated leaders, we are consistently electing uninformed ideologues. It frustrates me as I endure the reality that my 
mineral rights will be heavily influenced by a guy who has more guns and a bigger hat than I do. If I may endorse a science fiction book, if I may, you guys, have you guys read The Dosidai Experiment, The Dosidai Effect by Frank Herbert? It's The Dosidai Experiment. Um, and we correct, he corrected himself on that. I asked yeah. him about that. And, yeah. Cause this I can do on the fly. Yeah. <laughs> See, I, your whole premise has been discredited. Ah, no, it hasn't. Yeah. But yeah. the dose die experiment, which you explained to me for half an hour about Frank Herbert yes. and how it related to Dune, that we will save for another podcast. Yes, will. <laughs> it's a short read for Herbert. And it really is. It isn't a 28 volume chapter book. And it really paints a very bleak picture of how our leaders endure for generations. Quote, the faces may change, but the assholes will always be the same. Be well, guys. As usual, I enjoy your show. That's from Peter. Jason. That's not Peter. Jason. That's Jason. Sorry, that's I scrolled right past there. I'm sorry, yeah. Jason. The next that's from is. Jason. And thank you, Jason. And, and really, yes. and, and excellent point. It really, if, if you're, this is argument, these are arguments you have in college classes yeah. about free markets, yeah. about, well, if, if only, if only information were perfectible and everybody could know everything about everything and everyone's intentions and everyone's history. And that means fraud would be effectively impossible. Mm-hmm. Therefore you could have a free market. You could freely choose and you wouldn't need licensing. Or right. You'd know which banks were cheating you. Sure. Automatically. But, yeah. But the people with money pay very, very handsomely to make sure that that information is polluted or non-existent. And that's and the problem. And speaking of that, we have a letter yeah. here from the other, this is Peter in Canada who wrote to us a very long, uh, three page single space letter. I have, uh, edited a little bit of it out, but I did want to have a letter in our podcast from Canada because we love our Canadian and, uh, not only our Canadian listeners, but our expat listeners around the country, all around the world. And, uh, this, but this gentleman is Canadian and Peter writes, Dear Driftglass and Blue Gal, hello from Canada. I've been an avid follower of the podcast ever since I stumbled over Driftglass's blog a few months ago. And it has since become a weekly treat for me, a refuge from the daily deluge of vapid blathering that seems to pass both for news and entertainment across vast portions of the media landscape these days. You may wonder why a scurrilous foreigner like myself would follow American politics with such interest. And not merely in a, wow, bet that traffic accident killed somebody, rubbernecking sort of way. But a good deal of what happens in the States tends to filter north eventually. This may explain why, a few years after the beginning of the reign of Bush the Younger, Canadians elected Stephen Harper. The Conservative Party's answer to the question, what if Jim Henson's last creation went horribly wrong and tried to destroy society? (laughs) That's beautiful, (laughs) Peter. (laughs) Just as an example, the Harper government announced that it would be raising the retirement age, essentially cutting retirement benefits due to, quote, rising costs. In the same month that it announced a $32 billion Navy shipbuilding contract and was forced to admit that the shiny new fighter jets the defense minister wants will cost three times as much as the government told the public they would. Despite the fact that Harper and his cronies knew damn well what the real cost would be from the beginning. Conservatives, it seems, just plain hate ordinary citizens, regardless of country, and truly enjoy lying to them. Following American politics can sometimes offer clues about what I might expect to see north of the border, if perhaps in diluted form. Bill Cosby used to perform a particular comedy set. 
in which he talks about the haplessness of his college football team, the joke being that every time they managed to get a hold of the ball, it was always third and long. (laughs) (laughs) This seems an apt description of what it's like to support liberal causes, as it always seems that we're fighting desperate rearguard actions against impossible odds, even when they're ostensibly the ones in charge. Mm-hmm. with all the facts and empirical evidence in the world supporting our positions. It's not that liberal goals are never accomplished, but it does seem like it takes every drop of blood and sweat we collectively possess, along with a fair bit of luck on the side, to do so. While the crazies across the field are handed chance after chance after chance after chance to push their nihilistic agenda. Perhaps it all really boils down to avarice, to the fact that it's easier for sociopaths to prosper and flood the public space with all the money necessary to destroy their opponents than what is for good people than it is for good people to make the world better, if only a little. Evil, it seems, just pays better. It seems to be the favorite strategy of conservatives. If changing conditions cause you to lose power, simply change the rules so your opponents cannot win. Like that infuriating kid on the playground who made up rules on the spot if he started losing a game, then whined and stamped his feet and refused to allow the game to continue until his new, grossly unfair conditions were met. Can't get enough votes to win, just change the rules so that, so that it's only money that counts. Or that only wealthy landowners can vote. <laughs> or, well, you get the idea. I once thought that such childhood annoyances would eventually receive a rude awakening, courtesy of the big bad world. What can I say? I was young, naive, and hopeful. But now I realize that they grow up to be successful conservative politicians, Wall Street executives, and David fucking Brooks. Yeah. To quote a character in one of my favorite stories, Warren Ellis's Transmetropolitan series, quote, nobody wants compassion. It doesn't sell. You can't make a living off of it. The city went to me in a landslide, and you know why? Because all it wants is decent television, a bit of spare change for booze, and a blowjob every Saturday night. <laughs> and I would argue against the decent television. I don't, They just want television. Even though I try to be cautious about what I let inside my head, some days it's tough not to despair completely. And David fucking Brooks is not helping. Drift Glass, I have no idea how you can so meticulously parse his crayon scribblings on a regular basis without losing your mind. Is not helping the motto on his family crest or something? (laughs) (laughs) It would help if I could believe that somehow all of the people who are working so diligently to reduce our planet to a toxic rock devoid of life might eventually face some kind of admonishment for their acts. However, being an atheist kind of cuts down on that comforting train of thought a bit. That's what my dad always said about heaven, that people believed in heaven because they wanted their enemies to go to hell. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. well, without hell, there's really no fun in heaven at all. Despite the fact that I know there isn't anybody waiting to smack Tom Friedman upside his head on the other side of death's door for his complicity in wrecking the planet, when When I have to take a seat on the bench or down another handful of antidepressants to prevent despair from gaining the upper hand, it's comforting to know that there are people out there who are as fed up as I and still manage to preserve a sense of optimism despite the odds, a trick that eludes me more than I care to admit. People who help push back the tides of ignorance and greed as and where they can. People like you two. 
So I've scoured the sofa cushions and recycled my pop cans, and I'm sending you a little contribution. If I may misappropriate and mutilate a bit of Sir Patrick Stewart's introduction to the fifth volume of Transmetropolitan, I like that series, okay? (laughs) I know this media landscape. I have read these blogs. I have listened to these politicians. I have smelt the stink of greed. I have thrown stuff at the TV. I have wondered what future there is for truth and beauty. I have wanted to go and live on the top of a Yorkshire moor. Driftglass, Blue Gal, stay healthy and keep podcasting. You are needed. That's just a fantastic letter. <laughs> it takes my breath cool away. This about. is when we, we fan we just, our eyelids a little bit. <laughs> we we go to the, our little P.O. box yep. a few times a week. It's always nice, but we never shake the envelope for money. No, we don't. <laughs> because uh, whether we get that or not, we almost always get lovely, touching, uh, heartfelt, yep. funny, sometimes really heartbreaking letters from you guys. And we and should we should at this moment also thank those people. We do not encourage you to stuff cash in an envelope, no. but a couple of people have done that. Uh, we we mentioned the David Brooks hell envelope yeah. that came. There was also an envelope that came that said, "Take this." Signed Scooter, <laughs> which and no you know, return address or no, you know, we don't know where and, this came from. But and untraceable cash in envelopes <laughs> makes me a little bit heartsick for Chicago. Yeah, that's how. And there was a third. There was a third one too. There was a third one that had. Oh, there was a cat. There was, there was a wonderful cat one where. Oh yeah. Um, I can't remember at the time, and I won't do it justice if I try. We'll do that later. But it was. Uh, it was. We've been granted a boon by so-and-so, the destroyer of worlds or the eater of universe or what have you. <laughs> and, and it just had and cash. Just, Here, here's five bucks. Take this, scooter. Yeah. <laughs> you know? and, and in light of liberals read, uh, liberals and you know the jaws of defeat mm-hmm. and third and long, it's always third and long when we it get is, the ball. It is. It uh, always um, is. Yep. And for the idealists out there and for, you know, because it's always that balancing act. It's always – Here's the level of my idealism and here's what I can actually do in the real world. Mm-hmm. And is I don't want to step, I don't want to step so deep into the shit. I'm stealing a little bit of a riff from Harlan Ellison. Take a drink, even though he's not a science fiction writer. Take a drink. Um, the, you know, to, in the pursuit of my ideal, I will, I will climb a mountain of shit <laughs> and to pick a perfect rose at the top only to discover I've lost my sense of smell. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't want to, ha- it is, it is, depressing to think that the only way you can change the world is to slog so deep in the shit that you lose your, the idealism that drove you in the first place. Yeah. That's inherently corrupt. It's like, it's like a moat you can never quite breach around making the world a better place. And that's why I always say um, while we're fighting conservatism and the Republican party, et cetera, never, never forget that the real enemy is despair. Cause yeah. once you get that, you can never fight again. Well, and I want, so I wanted to, since we're reading letters, yeah, I want to read a, a brief quote, a, a very short speech. It really is one sentence long from a movie called The Best Man from 1964 with Cliff Roberts and uh, and uh, Henry Fonda. Mm-hmm. A very fine movie that you should really, really rent. Cliff Robertson? Little, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and Henry Fonda uh, and a bunch of other fine supporting actors. But it's um, we'll give the plot away. It involves. It's a political movie. It's a political it's a, movie. It's a, yeah. it's a wonderful political movie written by Gore Vidal, I believe. Hmm. 
And it's just, you know, it's a very, very modern movie in, in a sense. But there's a president and th- these are two members of the same party. And one of them is, you know, it, one of them is corrupt and acts from the gut. And one of them is Adlai Stevenson. It's yeah, one of them yeah. is Henry Fonda, who's too much of an egghead. And the man who can decide the nomination is the president, Art Hochstetter, who's dying. And they're both at the convention vying for his blessing. And he goes in and talks to this very smart man, the Henry Fonda character, about he's given him a weapon to take down his opponent. And Henry Fonda doesn't want to use it because it would it's dirty and it's cheap and it, it it's a terrible and it, it violates his sense of ethics. And President Hochstetter tells Henry Fonda this. He says, power is not a toy we give to good children. It is a weapon. And the strong man takes it and uses it. If you don't go down there and beat Joe Cantwell, his opponent, to the floor with this very dirty stick, then you've got no business in the big league. Because if you don't fight, the job is not for you. And it never will be. And that's political reality. Mm -hmm. The first thing you have to do is win. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And 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 if you if you are too pure to win your your positions, your interests, your the things that you need your country to do for you or believe your country should do as a moral imperative will never, ever get done. Because people who are more passionate and more committed and more crazy and richer <laughs> and richer and more dedicated than you are, are will take it away from you. Yeah. And that's the choice. It's always a choice. It's always a dirty choice. It's a broken world, and we all live in it. But that's the way the world goes. Now we have another letter. Letter from Fred. Fred. Hey, Fred. Fred says, years ago, Frank Zappa said that if you want to get laid, go to college. If you want to get an education, go to the library. (laughs) He was right. And it follows on Isaac Asimov's dictum that the only education is self-education. I struggled for more than three decades as a newspaper journalist to bring truth, veritas, to my readers. And now, in my dotage, it feels like I have failed. My industry is defunct. When I was born, Harry Truman was president, and I was a heavy-duty post-World War II, and it was a heavy-duty post-World War II world, an America rightly shouldering its way to the forefront of nations on the impetus of its wartime industrial vigor, and in which I was taught the old Superman trilogy, Truth, Justice, and the American Way. I bought it, as so many of my generation did, and the investment paid us the dividend of 50,000 of our pals slain in Vietnam. I can name eight old friends who are no more, whose names are on the D.C. wall, and three others who came back damaged. I weep when I consider how they were betrayed. My father was a sailor in the D-Day invasion of France, but he didn't brag about it. And though he would answer specific questions, he didn't regale anybody with the heroism of his service, and he never joined any of the various military vet organizations. I admired it then, and I admire it now. And, on D-Day, he hadn't yet reached the age of 20. For when the war had ended, six years before I was born, Dad was 19, having lied about his age to be inducted. All of this by way of saying that I feel the government slipping away. And it feels to this old man that every single thing I was taught as a boy concerning citizenship and patriotism has turned out to be a lie. Reason has been sacrificed to partisanship and the feeling of betrayal that folks of my age feel is a very real sore point. I won't go on, though I could, 
Even we old peaceniks have bones to pick. I feel now as though I'm being a bully. I apologize. And Fred and I had a really wonderful correspondence back and forth. We have a lot in common uh, education-wise, and he's from Ohio, like I am. So we we really got to talk, and uh, I get it that we old peaceniks, (laughs) again, it's that third and long, and feeling betrayed at this point in our government, and everything just seems so damn corrupt. It's Uh just ridiculous, but I really do feel that this – is an opportunity for us. I was so impressed with the move on ad that Robert Reich did today. That's two and a half minutes long. It's at Crooks and Liars. If you get a chance to go over and watch it, um, we'll post it at our Facebook page too. And it's just looking at him and realizing how much he has been at this position of seeing and being an economist and just seeing all of this decay happen. And he's still fighting and being very clear about it. He's an educator, too, and he takes two and a half minutes that this is going backwards, this is going forwards, and we're going to go forwards. Here's how we do it. And uh, it that's where we have to just take the fight there. And, again, the en- despair is the enemy. Uh, we have a letter from our last letter is from our dear friend Andy, who is in Great Britain, and uh, – He's just a terrific correspondent and supporter of the podcast, and I really wanted to have, he just wrote us yesterday. I wanted to have a letter from him. Yeah. Uh, and I, we, again, we love our overseas expat, uh, you know, no matter, <laughs> Mary Baker Eddy said, space is no separator of hearts. And that is absolutely true. We, we feel very close to all of you. Uh, yeah, it's Mary Baker ready. Everybody take a drink. Oh, that's hilarious. All right. <laughs> oh, that's like, you know, the ladies women's temperance league. Everybody yeah. take a drink. Everybody do a jigger. Not a shot. A shot and a half. Uh, yeah. Here is Andy's letter. It is sometimes quite amusing. Excuse me. It is sometimes quite amusing, though perhaps disturbing, to hear from some of your listeners when they talk of worrying about revealing their political allegiances for fear of the consequences. To make it clear, I am an atheist, socialist, British, mid-50s man living in northern England, and none of these facts would affect the chances of my election to any post if I decided to stand for elected office if I so wished. Equally, it would not deter anybody from doing business with me or for that matter, me doing business with them if they happen to hold to a different political view. I might not choose to have a beer with them or regard them as close friends, but that is an entirely different matter. In fact, one of my friends of some 30 years would probably regard herself as a conservative, a term with what I believe to be a very different meaning in America as opposed to over here, judging by all the podcasts I've listened to over the years. But that does not affect our deep respect for each other and would certainly never get in the way of our friendship. Oh, and by the way, she too is an atheist with a deep knowledge of geology and evolutionary theory. A very different conservative indeed from your American model. Would you not agree? Yeah, we call them liberal. <laughs> we too have our lunatic political fringe over here. Every country has them in one form or another but yours appear to have managed to populate positions of power while ours have mainly confined to newspaper columns. We also narrowly avoided a Fox News type operation coming to our airwaves due to the implosion in the Murdoch empire caused by the phone hacking revelations. 
our billionaires are as greedy as yours, but, oh, are as greedy as yours are, but curiously don't seem to have the same moral outrage as those in the U.S. I've no idea why that is the case. Well, we can explain it for you, Andy. But I thought your listeners might ponder on that conundrum. Anyway, I hope this view from across the pond throws a little perspective on the situation in your country when looked at from abroad. Your podcast is a delight, which I look forward to each week and is something I have recommended to friends that they listen to so as to hear the voice of the authentic, intelligent America that I so admire. And I'm not going, we're really running long here. I don't want to open the door for Driftglass to talk about Andrew Sullivan for 45 uh, minutes. <laughs> you read my mind. I did. <laughs> but the Andrew Sullivan feels exactly the same way you do, but he feels qualified to talk about American politics while completely ignoring the history of this country, which is we had a civil war based on slavery and race. And that civil war was propped up in the South by a very virulent Christian evangelical fundamentalism. And those things change everything when it comes to politics in this country particularly when you have a black Yankee in the White House. And Andrew Sullivan doesn't get that. He he is a Tory. Who, Driftglass writes about this all the time, stupid shit Andrew Sullivan says, because he just doesn't get that the Confederacy is what this is all about. We are still fighting that war in and so Andrew, many ways. Andrew Sullivan doesn't understand this country. No, he doesn't. He really doesn't. Yeah. Well, and he's asking. It's really interesting that Andy is asking the kinds of questions that Andrew Sullivan ought to be asking. Why is it this way? And we could answer that question, but he plugs his ears to the answer. Andrew Sullivan came to this country via, I believe, a scholarship to Harvard. Mm -hmm. So he went straight from being a Oxfordian to being a Harvard person to going, you know, to to becoming a Beltway um, conservative. Mm -hmm. He he never ever learned about America. Yeah, yeah. He learned about uh, he learned about the Disney-fied version of conservatism that he fell in love with under Margaret Thatcher, and, and then Reagan. Came, yeah, and, yeah. And he imposed that template over conservatism in America and said, essentially, Thatcherite Toryism is American conservatism, mm-hmm. and therefore I shall support it. Mm-hmm. And all of the realities that no, they're radically different from one another. American conservatism is this really awful, um, anti-government, vicious, vitriolic holdover from the Confederacy is a reality that first Mr. Sullivan just denied. And then when it came poking through the skin so many places that he couldn't ignore it anymore, he just pretended it was a new vintage, that it had just happened recently. Yeah, yeah. Because the alternative for him would be to admit that he'd gotten everything wrong for the last 30 years. Yeah. And as a public intellectual, that's not something you can say. Also, Andy, in our country, um, liberals don't get on TV. Yeah, yeah, that's a huge difference. Liberals don't get paid to write for, you know, for major publications. Liberals don't get on radio. Liberals don't get on television. doesn't matter how right they are. They just don't. And Andrew Sullivan is a media figure and needs to not be a liberal. Um, The second thing was our billionaires are as greedy as yours, but curiously don't have the same moral outrage. Our billionaires have spent a lot of time and money inventing an ideology that makes staggering wealth equivalent to moral superiority. Yeah. yeah. And and people who are 
and if you are wealthy, you are better than everyone else. And people who try to take your money away from you to pay for things like schools and roads and bridges are parasites who need to be obliterated. And if you yeah. need any proof of that, uh, the, the quotes from the Romney fundraiser at the Hamptons were so revealing. Hmm. And people laugh about them and make fun of them. But this, this part of, you know, the poor people really don't understand that we're the engine of the economy. It's really all a, a self-talking about how virtuous we are as rich mm-hmm. people. And it has, it's, it's like the lie that is told at the cosmetic com- counter about the value that you're getting in this little tube of wrinkle cream. You know, mm-hmm. you just have to keep talking along mm-hmm. those lines because if you, if you even for a moment, admit that you might be wrong, the whole place falls apart. And why are you standing right. there buying this crap? You know, but mm-hmm. that's how it is. And, and we, we and we in this country wed that billionaire ideology to the hatred that's left over from the Confederacy. Yeah. And that forms the Republican Party. Modern Republican Party. And Absolutely. The thing, that, yeah. the thing that billionaire money buys here that it might not buy elsewhere is no matter how many times their ideology fails catastrophically. There's enough money to buy politicians to say that it never happened. Right. They buy newspapers and say, no, the problem um, with our ideology is we didn't go far enough. We didn't take it far enough. That's the, we didn't have enough tax cuts. Well, and I think we that's didn't. where Fox News is prepping to go when Romney loses oh, yeah. is yeah. we weren't conservative enough. And what they want for the next four years is four more years of Obama bashing, mm-hmm. a clear path to 2016. And the meme of we weren't conservative enough. And those three things they will only get if Romney loses. And I really do believe Fox News wants Romney to lose. Yeah. Uh, We don't want to leave this very long podcast without doing a humongous shout out to Shock Value on Twitter. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Tweeted the fuck out of this podcast over the course of the week. Damn. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just wow. And uh, in he really uh, promoted the hashtag both sides don't. And a lot of people came up with really great versions of both sides don't, which were uh, amalgamated into one website, which we will show on our Facebook page. Really, really great. Which was trending on Twitter. It was trending for two or three days. Yeah. It was really something to see. And, and like a true, blogger and citizen of the blogosphere shock would not let twitter forget where that came from over and over again he reminded people this was from this great podcast called the professional left and thank you thank you shock for that um we deeply appreciate your uh kind words and all of your support and would like to know how you do this 22 hours how does he stay on twitter 22 hours a day (laughs) don't know don't get it uh we had uh, one last little paragraph is from a letter from James that I wanted to share. I thought it was hilarious. Shall I? You can go ahead and read it. Sure. Letter from James is as follows. I was going to go to Starbucks today when I had the sudden gobsmacking realization that I could make my own damn cup of coffee like an adult and send what I would have paid to have someone do it for me to two delightful people that remind me every week that it's okay to be a liberal. Damn right, Jim. Damn right. And really, the cost of a Starbucks venti is all we ask. <laughs> if you have more if than you that, have more than that fantastic. But and we get more than that. We, we, we do. There are, are people who are extremely uh, over-the-top generous. and then, But, you know, those five-buck-a-month people are just 
what yeah. that's our bread and butter and mm-hmm. uh we're trying to get that up to 1%. We that's really my goal is to get it up to 1%. If it's more than that fantastic, but we're trying to get 1% of our listeners to give us 5 bucks a month. And mm-hmm. uh if it's possible, if you're unemployed, you are off the hook. We do not ask that of you at all. This is our gift to you and Godspeed. But uh, if you have a job and if you think about going to Starbucks, think about going to Starbucks for us <laughs> and yeah. buying us a coffee with uh, a $5 a month contribution. We would really appreciate it. You can listen to our podcast for free at our website, professionalleft.blogspot.com. At our Facebook page, I'm Francis Langham on Facebook, on iTunes, and through our fabulous app available at the iTunes Store, the Professional Left app. We are on the amazing Stitcher Radio, and we are on Netroots Radio. Uh, Saturday nights from 6 to 7 Pacific and 9 to 10 Eastern at netrootsradio.blogspot.com. We appreciate your contributions. There is a PayPal button at our website. Or you can mail us a letter or a contribution to our P.O. Box, which is P.O. Box 9133, Springfield, Illinois, 62791. Our email address is proleftpodcast at gmail.com. That goes to both of us. And all of this information is on our website. If you Google professional left, you will find us and get all that information if you're listening in your car and don't have time to take it down. Every week, we post an Internet Kitty to our Facebook page and our website. This week's Internet Kitty is Einstein. And there's a picture of Einstein on our website and also our Facebook page. And Einstein is upside down in this picture, but is uh, very much the Internet Kitty. And we appreciate all of you sending your Internet Kitty pictures to us, you can, again, send that to proleftpodcast at gmail.com. And please put in the subject line Internet Kitty so that we don't lose your Internet Kitty in the, in the massive amount of email that we do get. Yeah. Feel free to write us. We are not too busy to get your email. <laughs> we love hearing from you. And be aware that if you write us, either at our snail mail or email address, we reserve the right, as we did today, to read your email or letter on the air unless you say otherwise. Also, give us instructions as to how we should refer to you. If you want us to keep you completely anonymous and say this is from John Doe, we're happy to do that. Or whatever details you feel need to be omitted. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Like that thing with the cow. You remember that thing with the cow. <laughs> we won't talk about the thing with the cow, so don't worry about it. <laughs> so, Blue Gal, how are the Internet Kitties doing this week? Well, the Internet Kitties think all presidential elections should be decided by the nail ladies. Let's think about living. Let's think about loving. Let's think about the hooping and the hopping and the bopping and the loving, lovey dovey. Let's forget about the whining and the crying, the shooting and the dying, and the fellow with a switchblade knife. Let's think about living. Let's think about life. This podcast is recorded under a Creative Commons license, copyright 2012, Drift Class Blue Gal Podcast.